Everybody, how's it going this morning? Good, good. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids now. So if you are in, I don't know, first grade on up through fifth grade, you can go ahead and head on back uh, to your classes now. We didn't forget about you. Uh, we just pushed announcements back just a little bit today. I don't normally do announcements, but we do have a few uh, that we want to let you know of. Um, we are... Uh, we're going to be having a youth fall retreat that's coming up really soon in just in less than a month. And uh, the youth are going to be raising some money over the next few weeks to go to that. So you're going to hear about a car wash. That's going to be a chilly car wash, by the way. Um, that's going to be coming up. Uh, and also, they're going to be doing some stuff at a local um, food joint after, I think, a Sunday uh, so we'll invite you out to that, uh, to be a part of that. But also, uh, if you have some stuff around your house, you know, maybe you have, uh, uh, you're going to be raking uh, leaves or something like that, and you need an extra hand, uh, we'll have an opportunity for you to rent a youth. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah, perfect, right? Uh, and so if, if you would like to do that, to help them out on their trip, and you have some stuff around the house, uh, then contact Linda Whitworth, right? Uh, and she is helping uh, run that part of it. So uh, there's multiple ways to help get involved and help the teens in their youth trip that's coming up. We're really excited about that. If you're new today uh, and you're watching online or here in person, you can scan a QR code, fill out uh, a Connect card, and we'd love to get together with you and talk more about uh, your relationship with Jesus or what Wellhouse is all about. We'd love to be able to do that. Uh, student takeover is going to be coming up soon. We originally had it October 29th. We're going to push that back just a few weeks, uh, but we're really looking forward to that. We also want to let you know that coming up really soon is, uh, is our Legacy Gala. It's new for us, but it's paired with something we call Hope for the Holidays, which has been around a while. Traditionally, what we've done is we've raised some money, and then we've used that money to provide Christmas for uh, local families in need. And this year, what we decided to do is kind of open up that pool a little bit bigger this year. We're, we're going to be recognizing some people in our community who are uh, making a difference. And this is an awesome opportunity to not just focus on all the bad, because there's a lot of bad stuff to focus on, but focusing on some good things as well as raising money. This year, we're doing it a little bit different. We're going to be uh, purchasing Christmas for 150 kids in the foster care system. Uh, and so we're really, really excited about that. We encourage you to get involved in some way. One of those ways could be that you get to help sign up uh, to shop for Christmas gifts. You might be a really good rapper, and I don't mean like throwing down mad lyrics. I mean like with Christmas presents. Uh, some of you, you'll get that on your way home later, and uh, others of you will never get it. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you're good at rapping or if you want to deliver those gifts, we have an opportunity to do that too. Or uh, here's another way you can get involved. You can come to the Legacy Gala. Uh, the Legacy Gala will actually be in Portland. It'll be a really fun event. We have some celebrity MCs and just a fun night of music and entertainment uh, and a way to raise money. And so through the newsletter, either on Facebook or you can talk to me, you can sign up and purchase tickets uh, to do that. And that also goes towards helping. So there's plenty of ways to get involved and we, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that event in whatever way that best uh, suits you and your family. 
Over uh, the last several months now, uh, we have kind of been going back to our core DNA of who we are at Wellhouse. And uh, we, we've kind of been looking at, all right, what is God calling us to do in the future? And we've been walking through that with you. And one of the things that we said is we feel like as we look around our community, we recognize that there's a lot of areas to focus on, but we really want to change the landscape of our community. We recognize that there's, there's a lot of need, and we can kind of throw money at things and, and help out in, in several different ways, and those ways aren't bad, but we recognize that the deepest need that our community has is a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, we want to change the landscape of our community by reaching the next generation. And so we, um, we have been looking at hiring a next-gen pastor. We've been in the process of that, and, um, and we have, we've interviewed a lot of great people and weeded it down to just a few. And over the next month or so, we'll be bringing those people in so you get a chance to meet them and uh, kind of get to know those candidates as well. But a part of the DNA of Wellhouse, you've heard us say over and over again, it's, it's to belong to family, to bless our community, and to become like Jesus. And there's a reason for that, because we, we know that belong to family looks different than just being a member. Right? You can just kind of show up somewhere and nobody really knows you. You know, you'll think about like we have a membership to Sam's Club, but the people at Sam's Club don't really know us, right? It's not like when we walk in the door, they're like, hey, it's the Cunningham family. They should because we're there so often, but they don't, right? Because we're just a member there. We're just another name in the crowd, but we, we want you to belong to family that you have a role with us, right, that, that you belong here and you have core relationships that help you grow in your relationship with Christ and that we truly feel like we are called to bless our community and the place that we're around. And, uh, and, and I know this can be tricky sometimes because sometimes uh, you've probably been a part of or seen churches like this before where it's like there's a carrot on a stick, right? And it's like, we're going to bless you as long as you come here, you know? And really what that looks like is manipulation. And what, we de what we've decided is that's not who we are. We bless because God has blessed us. Right, And so we long to bless our community because God has so richly blessed us. And then the last thing is to become like Christ. That's our ultimate goal. That's what we really want to do. And the opposite of that is remaining unchanged. And so we pray that in everything we do, we challenge you in your growth in Christ. And that's what we really truly want for you is to grow and transition in your relationship with Christ. Over the last uh, week or so now, we've been going through this series called Built for This. And uh, we prefaced this last week that there's things that you and I, we are built for in this life, but it doesn't always come naturally. It doesn't always uh, feel like it's the easiest thing to do. And last week we talked about this idea of worship. And there's some of you who, man, you're geared for worship, right? When, when the certain song comes on the radio, you turn it up, you know, and you're just jamming along, driving down the interstate or whatever it is, you're in your house and you get going in the morning, you turn up the music, and you just feel like you have a heart of worship, right? 
Some of you, like, that's a struggle. And so it feels like the only time you, maybe you engage in that is a time where you come to church. And sometimes that can feel a little foreign. So we talked about this last week that everybody, no matter who you are, if you feel like that comes more naturally or not, is made to worship something. And it really starts in the garden of your mind. If you missed last week, I encourage you to jump on and watch it. But we, we talked about this garden of your mind. Whatever you plant in there will harvest. And so we have to cultivate worship in our life. And we talked about this idea that worship is my response to what I value most cultivated by what I consume. That's where worship springs out from. Today we're going to talk about another topic of something we're built for, but I can almost guarantee you, in fact, I will guarantee you that this will hit everybody, but it will hit everybody differently today. Um, and I want to start off with a, uh, a proverb. It's in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11 this is what it says. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed for the day. I think that's probably good. <clears throat> and the church says, right? Uh, it's like, that's a weird verse. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon that started off with that. Um, why that verse? today. We're talking about self-control today, and I will tell you that self-control uh, is an issue for every person in some area of their life. For me, what I found to be true is that for, uh, oftentimes when I'm around like sweets, pastry, pastries, man, uh, donuts, if I walk into a donut shop, game over. Like I have zero self-control when it comes to that point in my life. And I've been working on those things. That's an area for me and for you, it might be something completely different. Your self-control may look like things you say or things you do or things you think or places you go or places you won't go, right? Because for all of us, self-control becomes an issue at some point in our life. And that's why I want to start with this proverb in Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly, and I discovered this, I don't know how many of you either grew up with a dog or you have a dog or you've spent time around dog and you've seen this proverb in real action and it's the grossest thing you've ever seen. We have a dog, his name is Maddox, uh, he's well loved by our children. <laughs> and that dog, every time it vomits, it looks at it with lustful eyes. Uh, I cannot figure it out. It's like, I'm like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And, and it does it anyway. And I'm like, hey, hey, stop, 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 stop. And I research this, and this is what it says. A dog will go back to its vomit because it still seeks out something good there. 
Now, for you and I, we would look at that and say, there's nothing good there. There wasn't anything good there the first time you ate that food. I saw it, right? But certainly nothing there the second time. But here's what I discovered. A dog's nose is way more powerful than yours and mine, and so it can smell the nutrients of the food that it threw up. And even though it's gross and icky, it can still smell some of those things. And it says, I think I see some value in this. So despite all the other stuff, I think I can still smell something good in here enough for me to make me return to it. Are you starting to see the point here? See, as gross as it is, they have a desire for what is right there in front of them. You know, are you familiar with James, the brother of Jesus? James was not a believer in Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was God's only son, divine uh, God and abode sent to earth to show us the way, right? He was not a believer until, until Jesus died and then was rose again. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, now I believe. And I think I could identify with James a little bit that, you know, if my brother said, listen, I am the Christ, the Messiah, I'd be like, yeah, I don't think so, man. Not unless I see you crucified, then you come back to life, then I'm going to believe it. But James sees and believes, and then he begins to help the church understand truly who Jesus is. And he helps the church through helping point point people in a personal relationship with God. And he's talking to members of the church and he's addressing various issues. A lot of these issues have to do with self-control, taming the tongue. So if that's you today in, in your life, you're like, man, listen, one of the things that I go to the quickest uh, with my tongue is cutting people down or saying the things I shouldn't do. Go back and read James. But today we're going to look at a small section in, in the book of James chapter four. If you have your Bible, you can flip on over there. By the way, if you have have the version Bible app, just go to the events page. We have it right there for you. It's all pulled up really easy for you. But this is what it says in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Stop right there. Some of you are going to say my spouse, co-worker, whoever it is. This is what James says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And you're like, man, James got deep real quick. I don't like James. And he's starting to point the finger back at me. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought about it once, but I haven't killed anybody yet. You know, like, and he's saying, no, 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 you tear people down. You, you, you don't have what you want, and so you're willing to destroy somebody else to get it. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And for James, as he begins to talk to us about the problems, the strife, that the difficulties we have in our life, what James says is that you and I, we have a desire problem. That there's something deep in us that wants something, but really, ultimately, is bad. It's almost like that dog that returns to its vomit. We would all say, no, that's gross, don't do it. And somehow, in some way, we still see value there, despite the fact that it's no good and everybody else can see it, except for us. 
And James says, you have in yourself a desire problem. See, here's the thing. We all have desires. The question is, what do we do with them? And my question for you today is this. What desire do you have? What's the thing that smells good even when it's icky? Right? What's the thing that still you still see value in even when you know it's not the right thing to do? That is where your desire lays. And for some of you, it's like flattery. You're just looking for the next person to tell you, man, you're valuable. You're worthwhile. You, you mean something. That flattery begins to fill you up. And even when it comes from the wrong sources, like, man, that still feels good. For some of you, it's, it's just more money. You desire the more money that you have. And even when you have to do things that compromise your ethics, or your morals, you'll do that even though it's coated and icky because that desire is so strong in you. See, we all have desires. There's nobody who's going to walk in or walk out of this room today who doesn't have a desire. The question is, what do you do with the desires that you have? James says, listen, you got to look at yourself and understand that the problems you're facing in your life because of your desires come from deep within you. And you think it's external, Man, if I wasn't tempted by all of, you know, these sweets, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to worry about what I'm eating. I, man, if I wasn't dealing with such nimrods around me, then I wouldn't have to worry about getting so upset. Man, if I just had a little bit more money, right, then I wouldn't have any problems. He said, no, 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 the problem isn't external. The problem is you have a desire, and it's controlling you, to the point that even when it's to your own detriment, you'll still gobble it up. And it'll hurt you in the end. See, here's what's true. If you don't rule over your desires, your desires will rule over you. And you will be caught in them. And you will be subject to the thing you desire instead of it being subject to you. And I can't think of a more perfect story that illustrates this than a flannel board story I remember learning about when I was just in grade school. If you grew up in church, you might have grown up with flannel board stories blue flannel board, and it was the same background for everybody, but the teacher would put up different flannel board characters that represented people. And this particular story, this particular flannel board story was about two brothers. They were twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older of the brothers just by a little bit. Jacob was the younger. Uh, Esau was favored by his father. Jacob favored by his mother. Esau apparently was this uh, kind of hunter, manly man, uh, the, the Bible actually describes Esau in two ways over and over and over again, which leads me to believe something about him. In fact, almost every time Esau's name is mentioned, it mentions how red he is and how hairy he is. I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to live down the rest of my you know, existence on paper as just being the reddest, hairiest guy you've ever met. But that's Esau. Jacob is not a manly man. Jacob stays at home. He's in the kitchen and he's loved by mama. He's a mama's boy. Two twin brothers. The thing you need to know about this story before we read any further into it is in this particular time in history, there's something called a birthright. 
The birthright came to the, the first male child born. That's just the way it was then. And the first male child born stood to inherit most of the goods of the family, be passed along to them. So it was land and it was money and it was being the patriarch of the family. Now you would inherit those things in the birthright once the father had passed away. So once the patriarch of the family had passed away, then you stood to kind of get your birthright, which meant pretty much all the land, pretty much all the money, and you were the decision maker in your family. This goes to Esau, the red and hairy guy. He was firstborn. Now imagine you're a twin. You were just beat by a few seconds. You could have gotten that, but somebody kind of beat you out of the chute. I shouldn't, poor choice of words. Mm. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I know. Should have thought that through. Anyway, here you are. And what might you desire you might desire what you felt like belonged to you originally. But it doesn't. If you have your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 25. This is a story about Jacob and Esau. This is what it says. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, he's at home. Esau came in from the open country. He's been hunting. And he's famished. Any of you ever get hangry? Those of you? Yeah, we have a few hangry people. And he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Again, this is because the Bible sometimes funny. says that's why he was called Edom. If you look that up, it's for red. He even loves red stew. Everything about Esau is red and hairy. Now, if you're the younger brother... And you're slighted on everything. Right? I'm a younger brother. My brother's four and a half years older than me. The opportunity you're always looking for is to get one over on your older sibling. Because they seem to get everything first. And it's annoying. And so anytime you can look for the opportunity to get one over on your older sibling, then you choose it. And especially if you feel like, man, I just missed out on the biggest blessing that anybody else in this world could have, right? I just missed out on it. And Jacob sees the opportunity. So Jacob replies, verse 31, first sell me your birthright. Esau comes in from the uh, open country, and he's starving. He's hangry. He's like, man, give me some of the stew. And Jacob looks up from the pot, and he says, sure, I will, if you give me your birthright. And for us in this room, that's like a laughing matter. Like, yeah, that ain't happening. There's no way. You could try that a million times. But if he's, if he's standing upright, not like wilting over, about to pass out, there's never going to happen. Verse 32. Esau, look, I'm about to die, meaning I'm so hungry. Man, I feel like, I'm, how many of you have been there before where you're like, man, if I don't get a drink of water soon, if I don't get like, if I don't have something to eat soon, I'm just going to like keel over right here. What good is a birthright to me? Stop and think about what he says. Do you think if we could hit like timeout, like pause, and then you could go into Esau and you'd be like, hold on, 
Think about what you just said. What good is a birthright to me? See what the Bible doesn't say right here, but what's really implied is what good is the birthright to me now? Right? Because what I'm facing now feels monumental. What I'm facing now feels like so much pressure. What feels like now is like there is something that I desperately want and something that I don't want, and I don't want to feel this thing right now, so I'd rather just invest in this. And you say, Esau, Esau, whoa, man. Bro, you're just hungry. And when I compare the two, man, listen, you're going to give up everything for stew? For a bowl, you would give up everything for a bowl of stew. Bro, you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. You realize this. Like in a few hours, your stomach is going to be rolling again. And then what? You're going to have to eat again, but you've given up everything for your future, for what's right in front of you. Verse 33, but Jacob said, Swear to me first, meaning, listen, I don't want to move forward until I know for sure. You have to swear on oath to me. Like, we have to seal this deal because I'm not moving forward. I caught you in a moment of weakness, and I can't believe it worked this time, but it did. Swear to me on oath. So he swore on oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he got up. And he left. And let me ask you the question. How much longer do you think it was before Esau was hungry again? How, how much longer was it before he was like, you know, could go back for some more stew or something else. Like, it didn't fill me up. I need to keep going back. That's why I think this next statement the writer puts in here. So Esau despised his birthright. He felt contempt about it. He felt bad about it. It didn't ring true because he had given up what was so meaningful in the moment for something that didn't last. And in doing so, in doing so, you know, Jesus has this lineage that's listed in some of the gospel accounts, and it goes all the way back. And giving up the birthright, you know whose name is not mentioned? It's Esau's. Because in giving up the birthright, he gives up this place where Jacob is now the father of 12 tribes. And Esau is a footnote. In the story. For a bowl of soup. And here's this thing that James talks about with desire. Played out in real life story for us. Because your desire for what you want now. Will always threaten what you want most. Your desire for what you want right now, man, it's right in front of me. 
and it's calling my name, and it's got my number, and man, it sounds so tempting, and I recognize that for everybody else, it just looks like this mess on the floor, but for me, I still see something good in it, and it's calling my name, and it always threatens what you want most. See, for some of you, man, what you want most is you want this... this relationship you have with your spouse to be so good. But in the moment, what feels better is being right and not being loving. And so you sacrifice what you want most for what is right in front of you. For some of you, it's like, man, I want to be a better Christian. You wake up in the morning, you're like, all right, I got a million things to do. All these things that are calling my attention. And so I'll just kind of hold off on some of those things I know that's going to develop my, my spiritual life more. You know, the praying and the Bible, read that all that stuff takes time. I'm just not in the mood for that right now. So you keep passing it off for all the other things that are right there. Because what happens in the moment is always a threat to what you want most. And what we need in that is self-control. And man, doesn't it feel so hard in those moments to choose the wise thing over the immediate thing? It's so difficult to do. We've kind of been jumping back and forth between passages this morning, but I want to look at one more passage with you. It, it, it Uh, It happens in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've been reading through this passage a lot this week. Actually, I've been reading through it a lot over the last month. Uh, And and it's one of the passages that I, uh, it's, it's on my list of things that I have been kind of meditating through over the last several weeks about who, who the Spirit is inside of me and what it brings to life in my body. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is writing to a young Timothy. He's a young evangelist, and he's reminding him of his past, of his family, and then his calling in his life that, that, that God has called him to be this evangelist. And then he says this, for God gave us, or maybe better, you know, for God gave you uh, this spirit, and it does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline or self-control. That God in his wisdom understood that we would have these desires that James brings about. He says, listen, there's a problem. It's deep inside of you. It's not the world around you. You're going to point all your fingers. And if that didn't exist and that didn't exist and that person wasn't that way, then, then I, my life would be easier. But he says, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about you. And if you can't control you, you got a you problem, not a them problem. And until you can self-control, you will always find a way to push it off on other people. And you will find yourself going back to the pile of vomit time and time again. And then looking at yourself and say, why did I do that again? It's because you found value there because there was something there, despite everything else, that you still saw value in. And until we can have self-control in our life, we will never get over that. Are you with me, church? But here's the thing. As Paul tells young Timothy, you possess Self-control, it's in you. But there is a difference, and listen, you and I know this, there's a difference between possessing self-control 
and applying it. <laughs> There's a difference between possessing self-control and applying self-control. Have you ever been there before? Man, listen, I have been there a million times. There's a place in Indiana. It's Muncie, Indiana. It's a place called Con Cannons, and it is, is in my opinion, the world's best pastry shop Hands down, it's just amazing. Like, you can smell that place like a quarter mile away, and it just, it's like, it's just, it's what heaven smells like. I'm convinced it's what heaven smells like. And if I go there, I'm going to eat a donut. I just know it. And I may possess the spirit within me, but man, there's a difference between applying it I say this all the time. I've said this to our kids, and you've heard me say this to you before. There's a difference between knowing and doing. We know the right things to do, but so often do we fail to do them because there's a difference between knowing and doing. And there's a difference between possessing self-control, that the Spirit will give you opportunity for self-control in your life. But man, there's a difference between knowing that and doing that. And this is what it breaks down to. That you can still believe right and do wrong. And that's true of the human condition. That God gives us this, this self-control. Man, I wish it were, I wish he named it something else like God control. That'd be like, all right, listen to God, turn it over to you. And I don't ever have to worry about this ever again. You kind of flip the switch in me and then I don't have to worry about it anymore because that, then I don't have to rely on myself to do this. I don't have to be the person who says, man, there's a problem in me and I have to address it. I just give it to you. And God says, no, no, no. I'm not in the business of making robots. I'm in the business of building relationships. And in relationships, there's this give and take. And in relationships, there's choice. And so it's not about God control. It's about self-control. And I'm in you. My spirit dwells in you and gives you the ability to tap into self-control. That looks at the desires within you honestly and says, no, 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 no. I remember that. That's a pile of vomit. And there may be something in there that's calling my name. And it's called my name a million times. And I've gone back to it a bunch. But I'm not going back to it anymore. Because I have within me a spirit that is full of love and power and self-control. And I recognize the desire isn't a that problem. It's not a them problem. It's not a it problem. It's a me problem. And I'm in a transforming relationship with Christ where he gives me a spirit that helps me understand my desires and an ability to tell myself no. So you don't have to be a dog. There's something about that they don't understand. He created you different. He created you with the ability to look inside of yourself and be honest with yourself about the desires that hindered the future self to be what God created it to be. And so today, 
I want to ask you this question, and I just want you to wrestle with it this week as you lay down in bed. Man, I want you to wrestle with this question. In fact, I hope it lays so heavy on your heart that you have a hard time resting until you answer this question. I know that sounds intense and scary. You're like, why would you pray that over me? Because I think it's so vitally important to the future you. Because I care about you. And I love you. And I don't want you to sacrifice what's right in front of you that may jeopardize what Christ has called you to be in him. So the question is this. What's the one desire that's threatening the future that God created you to be? What's that one thing that you know, man, this thing, it just keeps nagging at me. And it's time. It's time for me to address it and truly understand why it's such a desire within me and then pray that God will give me the self-control I need to eliminate it from my life. Would you stand with me as we close out our time together? Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, he's able to keep you present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you, transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who's matchless and merciful, who's supreme sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you worship with us?